Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you that even when the clouds gather, that you are present with us to see us through each and every storm. We thank you that you are our victor over storms, that you calm the seas and you walk upon them, that you have shown yourself to be the king of kings and the wonder of all. We pray, O oh God, that today we might hear your word in scripture and song and prayer and worship so that we could more fully realize our lives in you. Thank you, God. And we pray all of these things in the name of our Master Jesus. Amen. A West Texas woman was arrested by McLennan County Sheriff's Office deputies Thursday after she allegedly threatened family members with a shotgun during Thanksgiving dinner, Chief Deputy David Kilgrease said. Doris Wendy Mitchell, 52, was having Thanksgiving dinner at, a home, at her home near uh, Waco with family when she got upset. Kilgrease said, Mitchell and two other family members got into an argument and the situation escalated, he said. During the argument, the suspect left the table and returned with a shotgun, Kilgrease said. She then began threatening family members with the shotgun. He said it was unclear what the argument was about. Family members called the authorities. Officers went to the home. Mitchell was arrested and taken to county jail on a second-degree felony charge of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Her bail was set at 10000 So far, no relative has come forward. We all have a story. My dad died three days after Thanksgiving. My sister and I were in rural Colorado with my mom. We had flown in early when my dad, who was 67 years old, had had a massive stroke the Monday before Thanksgiving. We had spent every moment at the hospital waiting and hoping for some sign of recovery. And as many of you are very familiar with this scenario, we were suddenly immersed into a world of urgent decisions and frustrating insurance details and a kind medical staff who ultimately could not agree with us that learning to swallow again was not an acceptable threshold for quality of life requiring life support. On Thanksgiving, after spending the whole day at the hospital, we finally made our way home back to my mom's house late in the evening. And we put together a little makeshift dinner out of whatever was there, and we sat down together. And to be honest with you, I felt all of a sudden transported back to my childhood when my whole world revolved around my mom and my dad and my sister. It was just the four of us against the world. And I have to be honest that there was no greater comfort or home that I would have chosen than to be with these two women, even as we mourned my dad letting go. Being invited to this table 
by the circumstances of life held a deep level of the bittersweet poignancy of bonds that are meant to be forever, and they are, but they're also a moment when they feel broken in death. These past several weeks, I think that we've all read about, and maybe you've experienced them as well, such radically shifted Thanksgiving table stories. There have been first responders. People have lost everything, some including loved ones. Neighbors from around the country and, and well wishes from around the world who have come to join together around a common table of tragedy and decimation to serve and to save. All of them sit and eat food prepared by thousands of hands and thousands of donations because they are at this table being held up by love and care. And perhaps just for a moment, they experienced what I experienced at that table so long ago in my mom's kitchen, that they know that they are exactly where they need to be and exactly with the people they need to be with. And honestly, both come as a great surprise because we have an illusion and an image of what all of this means, what it should look like, what it should feel like. And when that feels disturbed or ruffled, we get disturbed and ruffled. But it's actually a chance to be deeper in life than we expected. Because sometimes something bigger than ourselves becomes so crystal clear that we feel that we're actually seeing one another, actually seeing one another for the first time. So we're invited to come to our scripture today with a heightened awareness of the setting of Jesus' parable. And there's something to note about this parable. And that is that it's not the first story, certainly, where Jesus uses the meal table as the setting or he shares a particular story while sitting at a meal table. In fact, here we have the fourth story Jesus has shared while sitting at the table of a Pharisee. Jesus uses the imagery and setting of the meal or banquet very often in his teachings. And really, that's no surprise because it's a setting that everyone can understand. There's not one of us that hasn't experienced a meal gathered with either our family or our friends or even a table of people that we are not so well acquainted with. It's a universal experience. And perhaps these conversations that Jesus ends up having around these tables and sometimes confrontations require the intimacy of people who share something deeply significant with the hopes of having the impact intended. But for whatever reason, it's a reminder to us that this is no simple story of a dinner with rude guests, any more than Wendy's story was about a moment at a Thanksgiving dinner, or my story was a moment about a makeshift meal. Jesus has been telling stories to this gathering so far, up to this point, that have highlighted servant leadership and justice and the spirit of the law. He's been trying to let them in on the kingdom that's at hand. 
He's been trying to retrain and repattern their way of thinking about themselves and about others. We start with Luke 14, 15 through 24, which is our text this morning. One of the dinner guests on hearing this, meaning the scriptures that Jesus had just quoted and just talked about in other parables, said to Jesus, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to those who had been invited. Come, for everything is ready now. But they, all alike, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. The word of the Lord. Up to this point, there's really no reason why the listeners would have been shocked by Jesus' story. Up to the point of inviting people to replace the original guests. Everything as usual, even though it's regrettable, about planning for a dinner party. You and I all know that we have guests who at the last minute can't come. Guests who have a million excuses. We've prepared and made our invitations only to have guests not show up. We all have experienced that in dinner parties. And such is the nature of a parable, because a parable is meant to be something that's drawn from nature or common life, something that you understand instantly. Oh, I can relate to that. The people would have been shaking their head and said, oh, I understand that. But like so many parables of Jesus, this one has a jolt in an unexpected turn. Rather than inviting others from the same social circle as the original guests, the host turns to the streets of the city and brings in the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And when they fill the tables, Jesus says, all right, now go out to the outskirts of the city. Some think that this is a parable about Israel being the city itself and the outskirts being the Gentiles and bring all of those people in and that these last would have been uh, compelled or urged it really sits well and it resonates with the vigorous extension of hospitality to passing strangers and not only to passing strangers but for this place of of honor to be extended from Jew to Gentile. And it is no wonder that they were hesitant to accept the invitation. What's the trick? They would have been saying. 
The final scene of a banquet table filled with new guests must have been a very surprising one to that fellow who at the very beginning of our scripture today, whose pious comment launched the whole parable. Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And the way he spoke this was apparently the man was not only enjoying the banquet before him, but he felt confident of a reserved seat at the messianic banquet in God's kingdom. And he was surprised when he looked over at the guests at at table in Jesus' story, and he sees neither himself nor anyone from his circle of friends. So how is this story to be heard? And the impressive thing about parables is they can be heard a thousand different ways. And one of the more impressive things about parables is it doesn't matter how you hear them. What matters is what, how they speak into your life, into your context. But let's go back. Parables by their very nature are heard in a lot of different ways. They're meant to be. Even by the same person in the same in a different time. You know how you read a book when you're young. And then you go back and read it again when you're older. And you either miss so much. Or you feel like, how could I have been so dumb? That's such a dumb book. So you judge yourself either way. But it's a completely different experience. A parable can be that way also. But here's the important thing about a, a parable. Interpretation of a parable depends on the part or where the parable ends. Where the parable ends makes all the difference in the world. If at verse 21, when the host sending the slave out for the blind and the lame, if it ended right there, then Luke's familiar use of the reversal to announce the gospel is the format here. So we can conclude that the parable is about insiders being in and outsiders being in as well. And that some of the insiders are now outside. If the parable proper extends through verse 23, then it's almost inevitable that we see God's offer first to the rejected and the marginal in Israel on the streets of the city, as I said earlier, and then to the Gentiles, the strangers on the outskirts of the city. Perhaps it's already too late for those who were invited first, but who said no. And then we have verse 24, which is clearly not a part of the parable at all. The speaker is no longer the host of the banquet, but is actually Jesus. And the one addressed is no longer the servant because the you is plural. But now it's being addressed to everyone. You can hear the parable historically. The prophets gave the first invitation. Jesus called those invited. They refused. And now the unacceptable in Israel and the Gentiles are invited. You can also hear it polemically as a defense and justification of the church whose membership included persons who would have been or were rejected in most circles. 
Or the parable can be heard as a, pro- a prophetic voice of Jesus to a church rapidly becoming the establishment, uttering pious phrases and no longer inviting to God's table the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. But the most impressive thing about the parable is not what they mean in the context of when they're shared, but that they have meaning for you in the context in which you live. To Doris Mitchell in jail in Waco, Texas, this parable might mean to forget the relatives and invite strangers to the next Thanksgiving dinner. Leave the shotgun in the bedroom. To my mom and my sister and me sitting at that small, sacred, makeshift Thanksgiving, it meant don't make excuses. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Be together. Celebrate life. Let gratitude be the incubator for all of your relationships. You might be surprised how easy it is to love the unlovable, the annoying, the peculiar, the quirky, when you have a life full of gratitude to God. My granddaughter, my littlest one, Liliana Grace, at Thanksgiving, just kept walking around the house saying, we needed to invite more people. She's five. And she felt that the house should be bursting at the seams. Even at dinner, when we were saying grace, she said, and God, bring more people. Isn't that dear? How beautiful. She wanted more people to share, more people to see, more people to experience, more people to eat sweet potatoes with marshmallows on top or just marshmallows. She wanted to make that a bigger, a more uh, uh, free-for-all for anybody in the streets. Let's invite our neighbors. She began to name her classmates. Couldn't they come? Couldn't they come? Well, they have their own families. But we're their family. Couldn't they come? I loved it. Jesus makes it pretty clear. It doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter what the table looks like. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. And it doesn't matter who sits where. What matters is showing up when you're invited. Honoring the host. And receiving with gratitude everything that is provided. Amen.